welcome to the Anti-Architect Podcast. I am your host, Christian Giordano. As president and owner of the design firm Mancini Duffy, I am driven by a quest for learning and radically changing the industry. With this podcast, I'm hoping to improve the industry that I'm so passionate about by taking a critical look at how architects work through a variety of voices and shared experiences. Hello, Anti-Architect Podcast listeners. I'm excited to have David Supple as my guest here on the Anti-Architect Podcast. David is based in the Boston area and is the CEO and founder of New England Design and Construction, an award-winning, full-service, creative architectural design build firm dedicated to the architect's legacy as a master builder. David and his team specialize in luxury custom homes, additions, and major renovations while being at the forefront of sustainable luxury design. I discovered David from his YouTube video, The True Meaning of an Architect, a very well done video that explores the truths about this industry, the education that we study as architects. And it's what I've been saying for years and years on this podcast. You know, we know how to draw, but not necessarily how to build. David, thank you so much for being my guest here on the podcast. Oh, pleasure, Christian. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to start out with a question that I you know, ask uh, most architects, but I think in this particular case, I know the answer you're going you're gonna to give. So if you had to pick one thing, uh, what annoys you about architects? The stigma, you know, which, which uh, I think has, you know, some truth in it, which is kind of the pretentiousness uh, of, of the industry. And, um, I think that, that would be the thing that annoys me the most. Uh, and, um, you know, I think it's good and it's bad. I think, you know, a lot of the architects that started that stigma, um, you know, were the ethos of where they were coming from. Wasn't so much pretentiousness or, or maybe it was <laughs> like Frank Lloyd Wright. Um, you know, but, you know, even, even the dress, the attire, the kind of get up, I think it can be uh, presented as, you know, a, a thing that might differentiate them, but, um, you know, can in today's setup, maybe it's not, not the greatest thing. Yeah. I, I, I hear what you're saying. And I, I, I think that's a very, um, it is it kind of looks back to the old side of the profession, right? And I think that there is a new generation that is beginning to change that. You know, the the bow tie wearing, the you know, I well, am yeah. I am the designer and I am in charge, and you listen to me, Mister Client, Mister Whoever, right? Yeah. Um, and I think as, you know, I know in my firm, that's not the type of person that we hired uh, or that we hire at all. Right. And it's, and, and I don't think, hopefully our clients don't expect that kind of thing, you know, so hopefully we're changing that, you know, little by little, but it certainly exists. I always joke, I can, I can pick an architect out from a mile away. Like there's just something about it. Um, and not that, you know, not that they're not all, you know, there's many wonderful, wonderful people in the profession, but there is a, 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 you know, a stigma to that, I guess. So, yeah. um, you mentioned Frank Lloyd, Wright. I, I will say, 
I went to that Taliesin West, which I always wanted to go. We were there in uh, um, for for spring break with my kids and family, and it's it's fascinating there. It really is. Um, but man, what a cult! I mean, Frank Lloyd Wright was basically like a cult leader. Uh, it's pretty- yeah, I mean, yeah, he. I think he was. He really thought a lot of himself. Absolute genius. I mean, he's he's my favorite architect, but. Um, you know, that was part of the aura that he was looking to create. And, you know, Walter Gropius is another one with that kind of get up. But, you know, if you look at the ethos of those guys, it was actually much more embracing or, you know, design build than, than you would think. Like the Bauhaus was a complete design build school. Uh, Frank Lloyd Wright, you know, he had students build. A hundred percent. That's part of, that was part of the curriculum. So, uh, you know, it's interesting how they were kind of going for it to differentiate and separate themselves. And it kind of got stuck a little too much. But then I think the pretend like the pretending came a little bit later, you know, in terms of and uh, and so that mixture, I don't think uh, go, goes well together. Yeah. So so let's talk about your YouTube video that I referenced in the beginning, because you make some amazing claims, um, all by the which make a lot of sense, obviously, but I want to vet them a bit for the audience. And, um, you know, I think it's, you know, you start your first job and you realize that, you you know, you need to tell people, you know, how to build and what to build. And you realize that you don't actually know how to construct anything. And for me, um, maybe I was brainwashed a little bit longer than you, but it took me a good 10 years before I realized that, you know, I didn't really know what I was doing in that sense. I I, I was good at drawing. I was good at designing. I was good with the clients. Um, I could make wonderful presentations. Um, and we had some certain, you know, I had mentors along the way that certainly knew how to detail and that kind of thing. But it really wasn't until, and I think I've told this story, uh, it wasn't until I was really leading a job, a major renovation or a major new building and renovation of a building, probably 300,000 square feet. And I had designed a particular portion of this building and the contractor said to me, you know, how the heck am I supposed to build this? You know, you designed six inches around this thing and there's no way I can access it. And, um, you know, what what were you thinking? And I thought, oh, my God, I am going to get fired because I have just, you know, cost this client God only knows how much money. And, you know, that the, the, it, was, it was for Disney is of all of all places. And I'm done. And uh the contractor, thankfully, was very much in the realm of working with you. And he said, don't worry, I've got a, a solution of how we're going to do it. We're going to build everything in reverse and we're going to close the walls up behind us as we kind of move out and it'll all be fine. And, you know, we'll figure out how the cost works later. And I thought, oh, my God, thank God. And it wasn't until that moment where I realized, man, I'm drawing stuff that actually costs like a lot of money, like millions and millions of dollars. How am I going to get out of this? So, you know, I, I guess um, when and how did you come to that realization? Yeah, I've heard that you tell us, story. it's a great example. And I came upon it very early and I, you know, I, I went to, I have a degree in architecture. I'm not actually a licensed architect, although we are an architect, a architecture firm. Um, and we have architects on staff. Uh, I went to a non-accredited school, have a four-year degree. I then started working in an architecture firm. And um, it it happened very early. And I do think it was because I wasn't as inundated. I wasn't like in that world enough to, you know, for me, my viewpoint was, oh, you you do construction? Wow, I'm an architect. 
or I worked, you know, I went to school for architecture, worked in this architecture, and I would get a response that was like negative. <laughs> and I didn't, I was uh, naive almost. I didn't really get it. I was like, you know, we're part of the same team. And, um, you know, I was working on a project I, ha- I had, for me, it was very early. It was one of the first projects I worked on. And this uh, contractor had questions that were from the drawings. And I looked at the drawing and I didn't know <laughs> what the hell was on the draw. Like I could not explain it to him. The guy was getting frustrated with me. And, uh, that, that was, it was very early for me. And it was my first experience, uh, where I was like, wow, I'm completely deficient here. And, uh, <laughs> and what I should be an expert at. So talk, talk to me about the, the video and the word and the history around the word architect and the deviation, as you call it. Yeah. I mean, I'm curious. Did, were you aware of that, the derivation of the word nope. architect? Okay. No, not at all. It's fascinating to me. It is fascinating to me. I mean, you who has, you know, have been in, you know, have an incredible firm, uh, but the derivation of the word architect is master builder. And it comes from antiquity. Uh, it's Greek. And uh, Archi uh, breaks down to chief or master, and Tecton is uh, builder or carpenter. And where that comes from is, you know, even today we have master plumbers, master electricians. It's a progression. You know, you're an apprentice, you're a journeyman, and then you're master. So the way an architect came to be an architect is they they came up through the trades. And it was that progression and the best of the best were then able to turn around and design and direct the work. And they became, you know, the, the architect, their master. Mm-hmm. And then, so how does that evolve? How, how do you, you, what is your, your thought as to, you know, what went, where did it go to yeah. where you became the architect that sits behind a desk versus the architect that, you know, works with their hands? It's fascinating because it's been made to appear that that is the way it was throughout history. And, things are taken uh, grossly out of context. The Renaissance, for example, you had a lot of these Renaissance man's artists, uh, you know, architects. And at that time, um, but the, the short answer is, I could talk about this a lot, but the short answer is it happened much more recently in the mid 1800s is when it is the disconnect really uh, came to be. And then it was made to appear that it had been throughout history, like back in Greek and Roman times, uh, you know, Ford has been what our history books have put forward as there was this separation, but that is, is not true. Mm, interesting. Well, I always think of you know, early architects, uh, Michelangelo or something like that, you know, was also the artist and the builder and the sculptor and, and that kind of thing. And I think I always thought of, you know, obviously at a significantly less uh, degree, myself like that as being more well-rounded, having that ability to also yeah. work with my hands, although I've ne- it's never really been encouraged um, for, yeah. for whatever reason. And why, why do you think that is? Why do you think that we moved from that laborer or that master builder to, to behind the desk? Yeah. Well, it wasn't for the right reasons. You know, it was for social status. Um, the, the problem that the architects, builders, if you look at an, an English dictionary in the middle 1800s, those words are synonyms. Okay. They, they use, you look up architect, it says more or less a builder. You look up builder, it says more or less an architect. And the problem that they were trying to solve is that they could not reach the highest social status because of their connection with manual labor, Hmm. with physical labor. 
if you if you think about it, the first uh, coronation of the the American Institute of Architects was in 1836, I believe. Not you know not too long after our America's independence, and America was heavily influenced by English culture. And in England, you had this status called a gentleman, and the gentleman was not just an adjective; it was in their census as uh, an actual status to reach. And per the definition of a gentleman, you could not partake in manual physical labor. So, you know, these, these architect builders were the best of the best, super competent, and they were fed up with not, um, you know, being paid their due respect. And their solution was to get together and say, Hey, we're going to create this organization. We're going to make it so only we can call ourselves architects and, and that, that was their play. And they distanced themselves from the trades from which they all came. Fascinating. That, that's great. So how did you, how did you figure all this out? Where, what's the sort yeah, of research so, you did? And yeah, it never made sense to me, first of all, just my deficiency, right? It, I, I, so I was trying to, I was looking for an explanation to that. And shortly thereafter, that experience I had where I was like, I do not know what the hell I'm doing. Uh, somebody in my office was like, you know, yeah, you know, the derivation of the word architect is master builder. And that, that just hit me like a ton of bricks. And I was like, oh, no wonder <laughs> I've never built anything in my life. And so that, that's what started me on the path. Um, and I just started to research it. I just started to research, uh, there's this book called from craft to Pro, uh, profession, I believe is it. And it's, uh, I'm going to murder her name, right? Now. I think it's Susan Woods. Okay. I believe she teaches at uh, UC Berkeley and she wrote this amazing book and that I just dove into that bibliography and I started to look back. I just started to like pull the string. And um, what I found is that, you know, the history books had more or less been doctored. I mean, just to go back a little bit on the Renaissance, because that's that's a period that is often misinterpreted and kind of used to validate like, yeah, you see, it was always separate. You had these artists and, but the thing about the, you need to understand about the Renaissance is that what spurred on the Re Renaissance was a discovery of antiquity. Like they found Vitruvius's 10 books of architecture. They, they were building and designing in a completely different style at that time. And so they found this and they started, you know, having this interest in the, in the ancient temples and they started to study it. And it was very much, uh, and, and by the way, the word architect had more or less fallen out of use by that time. And you, this is kind of a blip in the history books. They're like, oh, yeah, they call themselves master masons because this word architect actually went away uh, in, in the in the uh, Middle Ages. So you come to the Renaissance and this word, they discovered this word again. And the word became connected with those in Italy who had, were the first to discover it, who had been studying these temples, but it was in Latin. The only ones that could uh, translate it were the, uh, you know, the scholars. So the initial ones who were able to decipher this classical language were kind of the academics of the time. And then they then dictated it. They weren't architects. They were just ones who could translate um, Alberti, um, was not an architect. When he wrote his first book, he'd never, he'd never designed anything. He was just an academic. And so, uh, then it started to spread. You had the, um, uh, French King, uh, 
Louis, who was like, hey, he had an army of architect builders in France. And he was like, hey, I want this building. And, the, and his guys were like, oh, we don't know. We don't know how to do that. Right. And he was like, import me, get me some Italian, get me some of them architects. So he imported uh, architects to train his, uh, his army of, of, you know, architect builders. He started the Buse Arts. The first formation of the Buse Arts School was to teach uh, his builders how to design in the classical style. Interesting. And so the thing that's missed is they already know how to build. They, it, they just needed to round out the theoretical curriculum. And that's just co completely missed. Michelangelo is quoted as saying he is not an architect. I'm not an architect. He's quoted several times to say that. And basically what he was saying is like, I didn't come up from the trades. So no, I'm not an architect. And he's, he, knew, he, he knew he was a genius, incredible artist. <laughs> and he was an architect by, you know, today's standards times 10. Right. But he, he was kind of paying credence to the fact that he hadn't come up through the trades, which is still the way it was through, through the Renaissance up until the 1800s. Um, yeah. Has the AIA reacted at all to sort of your video or anything? They haven't, you know, I really haven't started to um, push it. I'm publishing a book okay. uh, in August, which um, will certainly, and, and that's what I'm really going to start kind of getting put, pushing the video. out. I've really just been floating the video out. So it hasn't, uh, I have not, but uh, I, I am sure they will. And I think today's AIA will, will actually embrace it because it's, it's actually the truth and it's just been, kind of, you know, we've been told a different story. Yeah, I agree. I, I totally agree. And I, I, you know, when it comes to architectural education, I have sort of mixed feelings about it because I do, it is a really great education in terms of the, the, the overall, you know, roundedness that you get. You explore so many different topics. Part of me thinks, you know, it is at some point for most people to dive into history and theory and really, you know, dig deep into design. For many people, ultimately, when you come out and work, you, you may never get into that level of design ever again. And, you know, for some, some take a design track and and they they are in that. Some design can become very theoretical and can, you know, be sort of cutting edge in that respect. And there's plenty that do that. Um, but many people go into the technical side or they move into the development side or the real estate mm -hmm. side. And some people go, um, you know, and, and, and some people never work on really amazing projects. Some people just do regular projects. So I think part of me thinks, you know, hey, let's do that. Let's keep it theoretical and let's, you know, keep it extremely aspirational because it might inspire other things. And there's always moments in design. Mm -hmm. But then part of me also thinks, well, you know, we're not doing what we talked about. We're not training people to build and we're, we're putting people responsible for, you know, clients and money and projects and cities and whatever. And there's a, a lack of knowledge um, that goes along with that. And they kind of have to figure it out, you know, over the course of the next 30, 40 years of their career. Yeah. Um, and hey, that's how it's always been done. So Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with that in terms of having a focus on design and great design and the power of that. I think it's, it's not, you don't have to sacrifice that. It's not a this or that. It's really, a, you know, I don't want to use the word balance, but it's having both. Right. Um, and that's kind of the, the, the missing element, which, uh, which we is systemic. It's like been happening for so long and it's been taught that that's the way it always was. Um, 
But when you actually look at it, it doesn't make a ton of sense. Yeah. And I've spent a lot of time thinking about, you know, as I kind of move through my career, and I'm always envious of of the design build side of things, right? Um, um, you, we had uh, the Glucks on, mm-hmm. uh, we're also a, a design build firm. You know, we do partner with other firms and we're the design of the design build side of things. And, yeah. and you know, I would love to start seeing our profession get more um, architects and designers in the field and making that part of what we do. And I just, I, my theory is that we've removed we remove shop class and the trades from from high school, right? And you're 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 forcing people to go to college, um, and you're you know you're sort of downplaying the the value of the vocational side of 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 you know building, yeah. and so you're you're not encouraging that kind of thing. And I think until we really begin to focus on the building as a trade and master builder again. Because um, th- that's a dying art as well. You know, it's, it's you know, talk to some of the, the wor- most world-class contractors and they'll tell you, yeah, it's very difficult to find a master builder or someone that's incredible at, you know, woodworking or whatever that might be. Yeah, yeah. So we've got to bring that back in some respect. Yeah, yeah, 110%, you're right about that. And it's really, you know, you have these design-build studios now, which are quite common in even American University. I've heard, I've heard that there's over 100 uh, mm-hmm. currently uh, I think in the United States alone. And, but it, but the, we just need more of that. And it actually, in my viewpoint, it really needs to be brought together. You know, you, in Boston, we have, you know, maybe the academic capital of the, of the country. And we have a lot of universities with construction management uh, degrees and engineering and, and architecture, and they're completely segregated. Mm-hmm. You, there's no cross pollination. There's no completely different per- professors, curriculum, uh, and you know, that's what, that's where the disconnect comes from is because it's trained into us, right. you know, the, we, we don't touch each other. Like for me, it's really, it's, it's a little a bit of a, uh, a trick, but you need to start to try to think of them not as separate because they really aren't, they're one in the same, you need both to have a project be realized. And I think the the design build hybrid is 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 a positive thing. I mean, I think the the negative aspect is like, oh well, they're you know when you have that, the contractors in control and they're just caring about cost and you know they're they're you know I think that's pushed a little bit, but it's a it's a step in the right direction for sure. And uh, we need more of that because the the thing that the these fellas did to validate the separation is they got the way an architect was trained, which had been for millennia, been an apprenticeship system. They had it switched to a university academia curriculum and initially, and they adopted the the Buse arts uh, initially, which, which the thing that was missed there is they already knew how to build. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like taking a builder and now, okay, now we're going to teach you the theory of this classical architecture. Cause that's what we want you to design. Right. Um, and, but that's totally missed. Um, and, and then you have this gradual distancing and progression. It got more and more distance. Initially the curriculum actually had a bit, um, you know, on how to build and it just got more, uh, and there's always been natural pushes back to it. Walter Gropius, the Bauhaus was a workshop based school. Hmm. Okay. This is not, I've, I've written, uh, uh, an article on this and it was a hundred, you, you first special, uh, specialized in a trade 
and you could uh, graduate just with that, uh, you know, degree in, you know, metal and go or, or wood or ceramics or glass and then go practices that, or you could stay on and progress and become a master. And, and there's been other examples of this, uh, approach of education where they are integrated. And then because, you know, as technology, uh, expands and, and, and it's not stopping the specializations are actually going to increase. Right. But, but it, it does, it makes it all the more important why you need somebody in charge. Who's who can, you know, Pull it all be together. In charge. Yeah, exactly. yeah, be fully responsible for everything. Exactly, exactly. So tell us a little bit about your backstory. Where did you grow up? Did you always want to be an architect? And what did your parents do? Yeah, I, uh, I grew up in Connecticut, uh, in Roy, a small town called Roy in Connecticut. And, um, you know, I like to, I liked space. I like to cre- kind of create spaces with when I was playing and naturally toys and what have you. Um, I, did, I was more into sports. And so my degree, like what I was going to call going to college was just the thing to do. I took an art class, uh, and I had a teacher who showed us these pictures. This is in the, in the video that really inspired me. I had never traveled to any of these places, but looking at the images created an impact to mm-hmm. me just. And so I, I then, uh, had that as like, Oh, that would be a neat thing to do. And then I had to basically pick a major, uh, in college. So I went with that and, um, yeah, that's more or less the short story. Where and and then when you began, you know, when you graduate, where did you go to school? I went to Tufts University. That's right. And then when you when you graduated, um, where where did you end up as your first? I had an internship. Uh, I worked in a firm uh, in in L.A. small firm. We did civic uh, projects, and I had a lot of um, you know exposure to you know working with contractors. We were a client's rep, uh, in a lot of scenarios. And so I had a lot of exposure to, I was never like inundated or like in just an architecture firm that, you know, was in kind of the, where we just design. And I think that was helpful for me because I never, you know, kind of got too ingrained in that world where it was just, Oh, this is just how it is. And this makes sense. So Mm -hmm. I was able to still kind of question. I did that for about three years and I had this deficiency that I was aware of. So I actually went and just started to work, uh, moved back to the East coast. And I just started to work for a friend who was a carpenter That's contractor. Awesome. And I did that with the, with the purpose to fill that void I had. That is awesome. So you, <laughs> so you started working in the field and, and building things. Did you have I any did. experience yeah, got, in that I, before? Or you just started, you just tried to figure it out as you went. No, I would, I was like, I, it was a conscious decision. Like, this is what I need to do. Cause I had aspirations to create spaces that improve people's lives. And I just felt deficient in my ability to really be fully responsible for that. And so it was like a check mark. I need, I needed to fill that void. I actually never <laughs> became like an expert craftsman. You know, I did that for about a year and I got let go basically. And, uh, and I didn't have a job. And then I started this company. Wow. Uh, and when I started the company, I still knew I didn't know enough. So I, I would, um, I would do a lot of the work in the field. It was, you know, I would 
I was still looking to fill that void. I actually have never filled that void. <laughs> I, I have kids now. And when I, I, you know, my thought is like, when they get old enough, I'm going to go back and, and do some, some trade, more trade stuff with them. That's great. That's funny. I have the same, I have the same kind of feeling because I feel like one of my daughters would be really good in construction. She's really fascinated about how things come together. And I've started to build things around the house, um, you know, planters and random, you know, random parts and pieces of outside structures. And, uh, and she's really into it, right? And she she likes that part, and she tries to tell me, you know, I think you should do it this way, or you should do it that way, and I'm I'm all for it. And and I, it really has sort of brought me back to that idea of building, right? I I really do enjoy that aspect of it. So when you That's were cool. a carpenter, and before we get into your company itself, when you were a carpenter, you know, what were the types of things you were doing? I mean, were you doing kind of anything and everything? Was it woodwork? Was it? I was. Plumbing? I mean, yeah. I mean when I was working as a carpenter, we would do additions, you know, I'd frame, I framed some houses. I did some trim. I did side, you know, cedar shingle siding. I did kind of a, um, you know, a, a slew of different residential, all residential projects. And then when I started my company, it's like those, I couldn't, I couldn't do that myself. Right. So I did, I started like doing small, like bathrooms. Like I started very small, where I felt I could control and some things I did never done before. And I would go and like research it and then, and then, you know, get maybe guys to help me do those things who knew how to do those things, but I just kind of figured it out. Yep. Um, and, um, and then started to replace myself <laughs> very, very easily in, in the field. Um, you know, with those more competent in that area. So how is your firm structured now? Is it design, it's design build, correct? It's design build and we have, you know, designers and we have project managers. Okay. And so it's not uh, P Peter Gluck, who you just had on recently, somebody, he, he actually brought back design build. He's one of, you know, two David Sellers, mm -hmm. uh, him and David Sellers graduated from Yale in the late 1950s. And they just, it was uh, at that time, it was, the, it, against the AIA's uh, code of ethics for an architect to build, uh, not not really know, but they they didn't care and they just started building. Uh, and the way they're set up is there, uh, and I think it's more aspirational. I would love <laughs> if that's the way we do we did it, where they're um, you know I think their lead designer takes it through and manages the yeah. project or at least part of the team. And our, our designers are involved in the construction, but we do have a turnover process. We actually get our project managers involved kind of early in the design process to walk through trade partners and, you know, be part of that design process. But then they take it over okay. uh, through the construction process. But it's the main thing is having, you know, one entity that's uh, a single source of accountability. And then how are you structured legally? Are you also signing and sealing your own drawings? We're just one and... firm. Okay. Yeah, we're just one firm. For the projects we do, typically we do not need to stamp. Okay. Uh, you know, in, in uh, the residential code, it's under 30,000 cubic uh, feet. You do not need a, a stamp. So even though we could uh, and, and do on some of our projects, it's not... And legally, it's never been an issue for us. You know, we have all the, the both sides of insurance. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I've heard others talk about this, like it's, you should have two separate and legally it's better that way. But I, it doesn't make a ton of sense to me because I'm like, well, if there's a problem on either side, <laughs> it's like it's still us. So right. um, 
we're, you know, we're an S corp and we're an, we're a licensed architecture firm and we're a, you know, licensed general contractor and, uh, you know, legally, you know, I guess insurance why we have all the both types of insurance. Now for other architects listening in terms of fee structure, right? When I look mm-hmm. back, um, you know, we we price things because we're a pure architecture firm, right? We don't get involved yeah. in the construction other than, you know, the, the, the coordination side of things. Um, it essentially flips over to the contractor and then we're now sub to them. So and so we're charging a pure fee for our professional services, right? Yeah. And that's typically if it's an interiors job, it's a per square foot number. If it's a you know hospitality job, we sort of have a minimum that we know. If it's a restaurant, it's got to be in this range. Um, and then if it's a you know if it's something bigger, then we'll try to balance that out with a percentage of construction costs versus mm-hmm. basically pure hours that we know it's going to take with some sort of multiplier. Um, you know, long gone are the days of the percentage of construction costs, you know, an architect got, you know, whatever, 8% or whatever like that. I think when we look back and we actually look at our percentage of construction costs, we're probably, you know, under 2%, you know, when it's all said, it's pretty sad. Yeah. Um, But it is what, you know, we always joke, it's what the market will bear, right? Right, Um, right. We can't, you know, we can't raise, you know, oh, uh, you know, someone asked me if, uh, you know, there's so much inflation, have you guys raised your prices? And I said, actually, no, I think they have to go down because uh, there's always someone yeah. willing to do it a little cheaper than us, which is crazy. So how do you price your jobs? Yeah, we actually do do percentage of construction and depending on the size of the project, we do eight to 12% and it is a separate design agreement. Okay. Um, so it's a totally separate design agreement. Initially we're selling the design mm-hmm. um, and you know, obviously we're a design build firm. So the intention is for us to build it as well. And our clients are aware of that and they like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we do bill, you know, typically 10% of our, so initially it's a theoretical final cost, right? Because uh, I think the main difference between us and just, you know, when a client's working solely with an architect is that we're giving cost pro- projections from the beginning. And since we are building it, it's like, there's a little more, I think, credibility in that, um, or accountability. So, um, our design is not typically profitable though. Right. (laughs) You know, we're doing our average job size is, you know, under 500 K we do projects up 3 million plus, but, um, you know, we don't make our money on design. And I think I could probably learn things from you. Like it's never been how we've made our money. It's really from, um, from the construction. And so we really try to break even on design and cover our time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's really, you know, it's a means to an ends for us to, to, to realize, have the project realized. And that makes perfect sense. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I totally get it. It's a different model, but at the end, there's a lot of upside for you because you're building it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we could learn, you know, more on, I mean, it would be great to have our design be more profitable, but it's not, uh, you know, we're not going to go under as, as a result of that. What do you think about this push of architects trying to unionize? I think it's an outcome of the, the system. Honestly, I think it's an outcome of the separation. I think all things lead back to this road. And I think, 
the truth just needs to get out more. I've read, I read that there was this New York for, uh, firm that uh, I read their kind of their letter mm-hmm. and it was basically like, Hey, we're, we're not uh, validated. We're neglected. You know, there's so much that goes into us. Like, but I don't think that is the solution really. I don't, I, th- I don't think that is the ultimate uh, solution. I, th- I think the solution is to, you know, increase our responsibility level and take on, take on more. And I think the, the architect part of that risk aversion is kind of also something that's trained into the profession. Um, but I think the ultimate solution is to, you know, like I said, increase our responsibility level and take on more. Yeah. Yeah. hundred uh, percent. So, so tell me a little bit more about your company and your community work. And, you know, I read a little bit about, you know, um, the work you've done during COVID and things like that. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. It's, it's... Always, you know, has been um, kind of part of who we are is doing community projects. Right now we're uh, very active with the room to dream foundation, which is a nonprofit where we do makeovers for children with chronic illnesses so um, we'll design, you know, the, their rooms and then go in on a, a three-day weekend and, and complete the project. Um, but yeah, that's always been important to who we are and giving back. I'm actually, there's an organization in Boston uh, called Youth Build Boston. It's basically design-builds uh, curriculum for the inner-city inner, inner kids who um, are looking to, you know, have a career path. And, um, that's something that we're getting more involved in now, because I think it's the perfect, uh, forum and the perfect type of individual that needs more exposure to this area. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm quite excited about that. That's awesome. Congrats. Yeah. Um, and so I guess, um, you mentioned your book, you have a book coming out. I do. Um, tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, it's called, it's a free, it's going to be a free ebook. And this is the first of several that are going to be coming out. And it's, uh, it's primarily pictorial and the title is classical architecture's African roots, Okay. <laughs> which you may be like, Hey, that would, that's not what you were talking about, but I'll tell you how they tie in together. So I, I, I was doing all this research on, you know, the formation of the AIA, their stated person purpose with social status. I knew this. And I kept dig- digging in on that. And then kind of on a separate line, I had written this article on Tuskegee University, which is a historically black college in uh, Tuskegee, Alabama, uh, started by um, Mr. Washington. And um, there was a design build school. So um, at that time, and it was really, they didn't care about social status. It was like not too long after the end of the civil war. And they were, so their curriculum was, you know, they would be in the drafting room and then they'd be in the, in the, um, building the, the schools. That's actually how they built a lot of their campus. Mm. And I wrote this article on this, you know, crediting them as the first design build school in America. Uh, the, you know, the second was like the bow, uh, well, I'll, I'll leave that for another <laughs> day, but, um, I wrote this article and I was challenged uh, by this fellow named Melvin Mitchell, who wrote this book called African-American Architects. He's like, hey, you didn't credit the right people in this. And I was like, oh, OK. And basically, I I, I like got it kind of down the chain. 
And so I read his book and he had a um, picture of Hatshepsut's temple, which is a temple in Egypt uh, done around 1500 BC. I'd never seen it. I, I took a lot of art architecture history classes and it like for me, you know, uh, Egyptian architecture was mainly pyramids. Maybe I was sleeping and I missed all the, <laughs> the, the cool temple stuff, but I was like, wow, like that, it, how have I not seen it? I started to look into it. And basically what I found is that it was common knowledge that the Greeks and Romans got it from the Egyptians, hmm. um, pre 1800s. Like you'll find this in books, you'll find it. Yep. Like, yes, the Greeks got it from, and then I just, uh, I started to pull the string and I found that that was another thing that was changed uh, in the history books for the same reason by the same men for social status. Uh, some of the original founders of the AA had slaves at that mid 1800s. You had the colonization of Africa occurring. So it was just something they wanted to distance themselves from to achieve their purpose of social status. Hmm. And so this book is really pictorial where I take up the uh, 20 main points of classical architecture, Doric, Ionic, Corinthian, the, the fact that it's the proportional canon, the uh, emphasis, all these uh, different facets of classical architecture that were taught, societies taught, originate, uh, you know, primarily in ancient Greece. Sure. Uh, most undoubtedly, and, and it's pictorial so that you can see it for yourself. That's a great idea. I love it. And when does Thank that come you. out? Um, mid, Mid-August. Awesome. Congrats. Thank you. That's yeah, great. it'll be available online. It's free. I'm really just, I'm making it free just to try to get uh, it accessible to as many people as possible. That's great. So as we wrap up, um, is there anything that we haven't covered that you'd like to discuss? Um, no, not particularly. <laughs> I really appreciate your podcast, you know, um, and what you're, what you're trying to do. And I think, you know, architects are, you know, in a great position because of the power of design, you know, to continue to step forward. And, uh, it's not what we've been taught. It's not the status quo. So a lot of the times it can be difficult, but it is kind of where, where we come from. And so, uh, just embracing that, um, and, and, you know, do, doing something, each day to get closer to that, I think is, is a very positive uh, endeavor. Well, well said. And listen, thank you for the compliments, but, but also thank you for, you know, doing a similar kind of deed where you're trying to, you know, unveil the profession, move it forward, really be critical, but not, 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 you know, not be a jerk about it. And yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think that it needs, it does need, and, and I think there's a lot of people that think a lot like us, want to move the profession forward, uh, and it'll just be better off at the end of the day when it's all It, it will. It'll be better for the world. It'll actually bring people together. It's really about uniting the industry and from there, uniting the world. I love it. Because if you think about these fellas, what their purpose was is to distance themselves and, you know, what would that that's not going to have a positive outcome. So we need to kind of like acknowledge that, uh, you know, accept it for what's occurred, but then move forward, uh, you know, and, and reintegrate this this profession that we love. Right on. Awesome. Well, thank you again for being my guest here on the Anti-Architect podcast. And as I said, for pushing the, the profession that we both love forward and for making a difference. Is there anything you want to plug uh, before we wrap up? Yeah, you know, the 
Design Build Movement is uh, on Instagram. My, my, my name's David Supple. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, the name of that uh, video is The True Meaning of an Architect. And um, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you again. Really appreciate having you here. My pleasure, Christian. Thank you.